Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Second time, Zach Callenborn, who is a drone expert, and you know Zach is also a fellow at the National Institute for Deterrent Studies, and he writes prolifically, speaks on podcasts, delivers uh, delivers uh, talks to West Point and other places. He is a widely sought after drone guy who knows and writes and thinks prolifically about the topic. Welcome back, Zach. Thanks for having me. So the reason we wanted you back is because we just had a an incident in which a Chinese spy balloon flew across the United States. Now, it's not your typical drone that we've been thinking and talking about in terms of what's going on in the Ukraine or some of the topics you and I talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how might we use drones and, you know, for deterrence purposes or delivering nuclear weapons or whatever the case may be. So it's certainly a different topic. And I wanted to get into you and I prior to the to, to today talked about that there are some illicit drones flying over submarine bases that we don't understand. So so it's more than just the, the Chinese spy balloon. It's there's quite a bit of activity in these unmanned systems that we're, we as, as a nation are sort of like, what is going on? What is the purpose of it? You know, what, what, what's up with this? So let's start with the Chinese spy balloon. What was your take on this event? Yeah, uh, it was interesting on like a couple levels. So, you know, first I just thought it was curious, like, huh, why, why is that? Why is it a balloon? Like, you know, China has a bunch of spy satellites. They have drones. They have all sorts of other things. Like, what are they using a balloon for? I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, the more that I thought about, like, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, one of the challenges you get with, like, satellites is that they're relatively pre- predictable. You know, you know the orbit, which also means folks at the military bases know the orbit. So you can say, okay, I know this is going to come at, you know, 3 p.m. or whatever on Tuesday and then take precautions. You know, take your sensitive stuff so that it's not visible. You know, you might even mess with them, like, you know, draw pictures in the snow or whatever, like, ah, we see you, that type of thing. Uh, but you know when it's coming. But with a balloon, you know, you have that sort of wind to it, that element of like, we don't really know where it's going to go. And so it then becomes a lot more unpredictable when and where it's going to be uh, be there. Um, and especially in this case, it sounds like, you know, the balloon is equipped with some like fancy communication intercept type thing. And with, you know, communications, those those are, you know, function, functioning on like electromagnetic spectrum. So they're going in a broad array. So even if your balloon doesn't fly like exactly overhead of your military base or your nuclear site, it might be close enough still to sort of pick up and intercept some of the signals that are coming out. So that was the first interesting part. 
I think the second one was the amount of a reaction um, to the incident. I thought it was quite fascinating. You know, it was all over the news, multiple like breaking news stories all over the place when there's even slight updates on what's going on, people following closely. And it wasn't even just national security wonks, which is kind of what I suspected at first. You know, you saw like those images of like guys, you know, standing outside in their yard, like pointing guns at the sky, like that sort of, <laughs> it's really silly, but like the way that it like captured the imagination um, and initially, I kind of thought it was like kind of stupid, to be blunt, like, you know, China has been spying on us on a myriad of ways for decades. Like this isn't new by any means. But what I do think is interesting about it is like the visualness of it, like where you can like literally go in your yard and look up in the sky and sort of see it like crossing over. There's a, a, a way that you can see it in a much, much more direct way than, you know, just a generic news report that says like, oh, hey, look you know, Chinese hackers broke into, you know, whatever, that's much more abstract, you don't have that experience of it. Um, so I think to some extent, it's sort of like a wake up call to um, a lot of folks who just weren't paying as much attention, like, oh, Chinese spying is maybe kind of a big issue here. Now, I'm not a expert on like how we op, how we manage airspace and the laws that govern airspace. Maybe you know a bit more about this from you know, working in the drone space. And so I guess my question would be from a legal standpoint, is there, you know, I think I heard that the, the, that the balloon was at like 60,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And so with that still, where, where does sovereign U S airspace and, and sort of the, you know, the wild beyond begin in terms of what you can and can't do, because at 30,000 feet, you know, where aircraft are flying between 30 and 35,000 feet, you know, that's regulated airspace, but it is 60,000 feet regulated airspace. What's the, what's the rules on that? Do you know? Yeah, that goes a little bit beyond um, my personal knowledge there, but you know, certainly there is that sort of like questionable gray space, right? Cause you know, we certainly have satellites flying over all the time and we don't go and shoot those down. Um, that said, you know, if an actual like Chinese fighter jet sort of flew over, yeah, you know, that might be a little bit more of an issue. Um, so a, a little bit, that goes a little bit beyond my personal knowledge though. On the, on the... Yeah. I mean, I, cause I wonder, so as we think about sort of the, the activities of the Chinese, the Russians and what they're doing with unmanned systems, aerial yeah. systems, there have been a number of instances beyond the spy balloon and you know apparently that this has happened before and it's been you know general uh van herk said that the northcom commander said that uh, i think he said in some testimony that they had not notified the president of the them in the past or that they had not uh been able to track it effectively i, I can't remember exactly what he said but there were there was problems, and they did admit this has happened before. Uh, I do wonder, beyond just the balloons, we've had incidents that I think you're you've looked at and worked on, where we've seen drones that flew over some of our very sensitive, like submarine bases. Do what is what all flown? I think they've flown around our ships at sea. Mm -hmm. um, so what all's going on there? 
Yeah, so there's been a, a whole lot of concerns um, there, and that's been happening for a number of years. Yeah, uh, uh, there's been a number of sort of mystery drone swarm sightings. Um, I'll be pedantic and note that it's not actually a drone swarm. They're not communicating with one another, but that's a separate issue entirely. But point being, there was at least a whole lot of drones that were flying around a number of sensitive sites to include um, Bangor Kitsap, uh, the you know, base in northern Washington that's home to uh, many of our Trident submarines there, um, and doing so in very suspicious circumstances, like, you know, uh, I think it was either like at night or like just before nightfall, um, and like a whole lot of drones at once and happening like frequently over time. Um, and we know that there's been a lot of these just in general, um, like in reality is many that we can't really respond terribly well. Um, I think it was FBI director, Christopher Ray, not a hundred percent sure. I might be getting that wrong, but there was a recent, uh, some congressional testimony from some senior uh, leaders noting that, um, there's like thousands of incidents uh, across the country of like sort of suspicious drone sightings and like the ability to actually respond to them is very, very limited. There's something like one or 2% actually get responses. You know, in many of those cases, it's probably just, you know, Steve hobbyist kind of hanging out playing with his drone. But we're, when we're talking about like a military base in the minute, like in the night or near that, like, sure. I buy that. Like some of those cases are, you know, some random guy who just doesn't know any better, but like, it should be pretty obvious to most people that flying over a military base with a drone in a really suspicious context, like the middle of the night is a really dumb idea. So to me, I think there's a very high probability that at least some set, I, I won't speculate at all, like whether it's like most of these, uh, one or 2%, but I would be extraordinarily surprised if none of those incidents were not like Chinese, Iranian, Russian, some sort of adversary um, flying these down, uh, doing these. And at least to my knowledge, there hasn't been um, any significant responses. Like, you know, in this balloon incident, we shot it down. We looked at what was there and confirmed, yep, this is pretty clearly a Chinese spy balloon. Like there's a bunch of random advanced communication systems that are not the type of thing you would have at a weather balloon. Uh, I'm not aware that we've done that with some of these drones um, that have been flying around these bases, um, but it seems like we should because I think it, it presents some of those same sort of concerns where, you know, with a satellite, you, it's predictable. You know, people can take counter, folks in the bases can take uh, countermeasures. With these drones, with they just like show up in some random day just flying around, what are they looking at? What are they, are they, what are they seeing there? You know, even some basic stuff could be really useful, like knowing, you know, when and where our submarines are leaving, because um, then you can start trying to figure out more effectively where they're located. And in turn, then if you know where our nuclear submarines are located, um, that's certainly going to uh, be potentially quite harmful for our second strike deterrence. Now, there's obviously a lot more steps than that, like just seeing it with a drone is a lot. There's a lot more to it than that, but it can at least help sort of build that logical chain to do that, do so. Yeah, I wonder, do we have the capabilities? And, you know, I think about it sort of from, you know, initially from a paparazzi sort of standpoint where the paparazzi were in this, you know, they were doing this 10 or 15 years ago with drones, flying them over people's, you mm -hmm. know, famous people's houses and looking into their backyards. And, and apparently in most states, it's illegal to shoot down drones. You're not allowed to shoot them down. But I wonder sort of where does, you know, is, is there a movement to change the law that would allow 
you know, individuals, government agencies to deal with drones? Is there any commercially available technology? So, you know, if, if I, for example, have, have a pesky neighbor that, you know, keeps harassing me with a drone and, and I want to take it down, what, what can I do to do that? And, and whatever is available to us, I'm sure the government would have much better capabilities mm-hmm. to take down drones. Is there, is the Navy, for example, putting up systems to take down these drones that may come over? Yeah. So um, for what you, you and I can do, the answer is pretty easy. Nothing. Um, so current under uh, federal re- regulations, um, unmanned drones, even those like little quadcopters that are like yay big, are treated as aircraft, um, which means if you do anything to them, it's equivalent of, you know, attacking like a full aircraft. Now, whether it's actually treated that way, like, you know, in prosecution and in the courts, that sort of thing, I don't really know. But aren't aircraft not supposed to fly below a thousand feet? So when drones are at 80 feet, that would still be treated? No, so they're allowed. So... No. So, uh, I mean, I don't know the exact law, but at least with drones, um, there's a flight cap up to 400 feet, but for what it's, and it's, I believe it's specific statutes around interfering with aircraft, um, that like when it comes to like, say like hacking or something like that, um, that are applicable equally to drones as well as like manned aircraft. Um, and so the end result is basically we can't do anything. Um, and even the local police can't do anything um, under under federal law. The only folks who have uh, counter UAS uh, counter drone authority um, is select federal agencies. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head which ones. Like Department of uh, Homeland Security, Department of Defense does have that author uh, does have that authorization. Um, who else? Uh, like Department of Justice does, um, but like your local police, they do not. So you know, if you call nine one one, they're going to show up. They're like. I don't know what to do with this. Um, you know, now they like if they believe for whatever reason that there's like something harmful, like, yes, they might be able to um, like treat it as like, you know, a general uh, harmful type incident where you try to locate the perpetrator and, you know, hey, what's going on? Um, that's plausible. But if it's like it's just a drone that's just flying there, like you really can't do anything so long as they're, you know, following the various federal, federal laws. Um, now, when it comes to Department of Defense, like they do have uh, that authorization to shoot shoot down um, some of these drones. I don't know that they've taken it. And I also don't know where the lines are sort of like as we were talking a little bit about sort of like with the altitude issue. Um, I believe but I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I believe the Department of Defense has to like the drones have to be over Department of Defense controlled airspace to take those actions. Um but if you think about a drone, uh, like if they're, say, you just using a camera and they're pointing it, you don't need to fly over the airspace. You kind of just, you know, fly it up at a good enough angle that you can kind of see over the walls and see what's going on. Um, so you don't actually potentially need to be in that engagement uh, in that like area where like shoot down mode is going on. Um, and I know certainly that a lot of the Department of Defense has really has struggled, like at least with some of these open source reporting about these drone sightings. Um, there's been a number of quotes where like, uh, sailors, soldiers, airmen, like there's like, I don't know what to do. Like, cause I don't know if this is a threat, right? Cause if it's like, you know, a ways out relatively close, but not like over the military base, like who is this person? Is it a hobbyist? Is it, you know, Joe who is really into military stuff? Like, do they know, um, what, so what is the action that they're going to take? And they don't necessarily know. Um, there has been some recent changes um, to this. Uh, President Biden put out a new counter UAS plan um, last year, I want to say, um, expanding some of these authorities, but not 
in a drastic way. Like I think like most of the stuff in there seemed good, but it was like more just sort of step incremental increases. Like I think TSA has increased authority to shoot down drones and they're also doing like a pilot program for I think 10 states or 10 cities rather um, to allow them to start like allow local officials to do counter drones. To me, that's not really all that much and not really a big deal, but you know, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. Um, yeah. And I suppose I should add sort of to go back a little bit. So part of the concern that you run into with why um, folks are hesitant about like shooting some of these uh, things down is not only the issue of like, okay, who is this? What is this actor? Um, but also with some of these systems that are out on the market, the most common uh, counter UAS system that's out there are jammers. I think like 53, 54% or so of the specifically designated counter drone systems are jammers. Um, basically that is they sever the link between the uh, drone and the operator. The problem there is that basically it's just an electromagnetic spectrum thing, like, right? It's just jamming everything on that particular frequency, which means it's jamming everything on that frequency, which could include like, you know, police and law enforcement communication systems. It could be like, you know, technical systems used for like airports. It could be, you know, relays for ambulances, like that type of thing. It could be all sorts of things that like we kind of need. So that's partially why, you know, it's so restrictive um, and why we don't want like just everyone getting access to those. But it also end, end up having that result of lots of these drone incursions without too much response. So we're talking to Zach Callenborn about the Chinese spy balloon and then the potential for these drones that we've seen flying over Banger Kitsap and other bases. But it's time to take a break, so we'll be right back. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the Anwar Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back talking to Zach Callenborn. So, Zach, as you think about uh, the Chinese spy balloon, the drones we've seen flying over military bases, and you think about potential solutions for problems like this, what comes to mind is how you think we should probably address these kinds of problems? Yeah. So <clears throat> there's sort of a few levels to that. So. You know, with this particular incident, um, I don't know that we really need like a big gigantic response in that like, you know, it was a weather balloon, like it's noticeable. And I think we want something public um, would be good. But like, it's also like, we're not starting a war over that. And that doesn't seem appropriate to me, you know, but there might be some like interesting or clever things to do. And I was sort of toying around with, well, you know, China said it was a weather balloon. So let's send them back and they want it back. So let's send them a weather balloon back, you know, and if they want the communication stuff back, we can do that, but they have to tell us 
what is this communication? Because otherwise, you know, how are we going to replace it if we don't know what it is and what it does? <laughs> so let's have, let's have them tell us that. Um, and then we'll, yeah, maybe we'll send it back to them. Um, you know, something like that, that sort of shows we're responsive, something public, um, you know, that gives them a little, that sort of a little bit offensive, but without like, you know, we're not starting a war over this. Um, so that's sort of with the short term type thing. Um, bigger picture, I think we need to start, like, take advantage of, like, this clearly did get massive amounts of tension. Oh, sure. And I think it, you know, people are much more aware of Chinese spying. So I think there's definitely the political support to take much more aggressive action to uh, support counterintelligence um, against Chinese spying more broadly, um, potentially as well being more aggressive um, against China of their own espionage, whether that's, you know, developing uh, human intelligence sources, um, like, you know, doing our own, um, like cyber hacking, that type of thing. Um, you know, maybe even send our own balloons like, hey, it worked for them. So let's, you know, do a little bit of that, that ourselves. A nice little sort of, you know, tit for tat there um, to show that like, we're not, we're not going to accept this. We're not going to take it out of control, but we're going to like, we're going to respond to what you're doing. I wonder if, um, if there was this guy, I think you're younger than me and I wasn't even born when it happened, but there was this guy, Gary power. And he mm-hmm. sort of had this uh, unfortunate incident where he was trying to, you know, fly over the Soviet union in a, in a U two and got shot down. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we do, we, the United States do have some experience flying over hostile countries. So <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, and I guess it's probably, yeah, there's probably a little bit more of that as well, but you know, like sort of stepping up some of those activities. Um, and I, I don't know the details too much. So like, I can't say too specifically, and maybe we are already doing that, but you know, putting more resources and attention to doing that, I think would be good. Um, I think also leveraging, um, this incident for broader like security practices. Like, you know, there's been a whole lot of discussion around how we're improving cybersecurity um, and how do we do that um, for like critical infrastructure and broader society, like using this as a way to say, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of Chinese spying going on. Obviously, it's, you know, this is not a cybersecurity incident, but, you know, you sort of go, okay, Chinese spying in general. Yeah, really absolutely. You know, let's, we need to look, look, look across the board. Um, and probably there's some like congressional uh, approaches that, you know, do like big hearings or something on congressional on Chinese espionage um, to talk about this. Um, and when it comes to like some of these drone incidents, um, I think we should also take a little bit of a lesson learned here from the balloon. Like I thought it was a good idea that they shot it down. Um, I go back and forth on whether it makes sense to like, you know, shoot it down way before it actually was moving around. But I can see some value in like collecting information on it as it's going. But, you know, I thought the shooting down was good. And I think we should do some of that with these drones that we're seeing around is take a more aggressive response just to see what it is. You know, maybe it is a hobbyist drone and be like, OK, our bad. We'll replace your drone. Here's 50 bucks or whatever it was to replace it. But, you know, if we see, OK, there's some strong indicators that, oh, this is actually a larger spy campaign, um, that would be quite useful, I think, for us to know. Yeah, I mean, we do know that both the Russians and the Chinese have capabilities in the United States for signals collection for, uh, I'll give you a great example. They wanted to buy an, a company that was, we later found out was affiliated with the, the PLA was trying to buy a building right close to the Pentagon. And they were, you know, we'll find buildings around the Pentagon where all of a sudden you'll find antennas and dishes that pop up on the tops of these buildings. So they're clearly in this country trying to collect. We've heard about the Thousand Talents programs. I mean, how many professors in the United States have been convicted 
of working with the PLA lately. So how much mm-hmm. industrial espionage is, have we seen? And it's, you know, I sort I often wonder if we have fundamentally failed to deter the Chinese because, you know, when they see us doing essentially nothing in cyber espionage and cyber crime and in, you know, some of the, the human intelligence and the industrial espionage. And then, and then do they ultimately get to the point where they say, well, we'll start flying balloons over and collecting signals. They're probably not going to do anything anyways. They don't seem to be doing stuff elsewhere. And then, you know, if they shoot it down, you know, we were out a few million bucks, but we'll have collected some, you know, signals uh, on these given, you know, sites. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, And I think, yeah, looking broadly at like some of the solutions to this, one of the interesting questions that I saw some senior defense officials raise in the New York Times was looking at um, like the supply chain issues. I thought was really interesting. Like, okay, um, this advanced communication system, are there Western or other US made components um, on this? Um, And just bet I would be really surprised if they weren't like just as a matter of fact, like, you know, our supply chains are so globalized. We have so many international companies um, that like there probably are. I mean, we saw recently that uh, with the Iranian Shahids that have uh, Shahid drones, I should say, um, that Russia has been using to attack Ukraine. Um, quite a lot of those components are actually from American companies. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge we get to now. And I'm sure Chinese are using other American um, entities, you know, often legally to conduct some of these spying. So taking a hard look at like where this technology is going, what are the components um, that are, or rather, what are the components that we as a country are providing to support this? You know, I think is a really good thing and look at what are the things we can do to try to stop it. I'm a little skeptical just by the nature of global supply chains that we can really like plug up, you know, it's not like it's a single hole that we just, you know, put the stopper in and we're done. This is more like a barrel with a you know thousand little pinpricks in it where you got stuff sort of coming out everywhere. So, um, but I think there's nonetheless, I'm sure there's opportunity to take hard looks at that. You know, we've seen some interesting reports um, from think tanks recently, like thinking more seriously about sort of export controls um, and what does that look like um, in today's world um, where, you know, not only globalized like technology, but also sort of talent, um, you know, open source research, uh, that type of thing. And, you know, and I think we need to take a stronger look at uh, those mechanisms. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, China's an interesting case in particular because if you think back to the Cold War, we didn't have millions of Soviet citizens coming to the U.S. to get advanced, you know, university degrees in in areas that would be bad for us. We didn't mm-hmm. have, you know, millions of Soviet citizens working in the technology and industrial sectors in this country. We, you know, we didn't sell the Soviets advanced technologies. All the things that we do with China, we didn't do with the Soviet Union. And it's part of the reason that they were never able to catch us technically. And if you look at China today, you know, even now they cannot manufacture advanced chips. I mean, they're, they're primarily manufactured in Taiwan, which is probably part of the reason they want the island. Um, But there's a whole lot of advanced stuff that they cannot manufacture, but they can assemble it. And we're selling it to them to allow them to assemble it for nefarious purposes. 
Yeah, that that aspect of know-how is really interesting, and I think I, I think a tough one. I, I share your same concerns, and I, I, to me, I think that's sort of a product of lessons taken from sort of um, during the Cold War, as well as I think even looking back to like World War II, that type of thing. Like I recall, you know, after World War II, um, we sucked up a whole bunch of you know German, Japanese, um, I think some Soviet scientists as well. Like you know, bring them over here and let's have them do awesome stuff for us, and let's learn from those experiences. You know, and some of those have occasionally been kind of morally questionable. You talk about, say, like the Japanese folks who worked on the bioweapons program. Like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. But at, at the end, like they have the knowledge, like it's not like it's going away. So if we can make positive use of it, let's do it. So, you know, I kind of see a little bit of that, like in that at the moment where like, OK, yes, you know, these folks are coming over. But, you know, if it turns out, hey, they love America. I do. So why not them, too? You know, if they bring that know how to us and, you know, we bring their best and brightest like, hey, that's good for us if they're not working over there for China. Um, that said, you know, to what extent China is sort of maintaining those connections and, you know, what happens if that person's like, yeah, you know, my family's back over there. I want to maybe not. I don't want to stay here. I'm going to go back over there. And then, you know, they're like, OK, well, they still have that knowledge and bring that um, bring it over there. So I, I think it's a tough balance because like because you got to balance those two things of like, yes, we want to bring over the best and brightest. But at the same time, we want to make sure that, you know, that best and brightest is not actually you know working for the PLA uh, behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, but definitely taking a look at like some of that, like how do we balance that effectively? Um, and my guess is some of that sort of comes out in um, like security clearance type things of, you know, what's the, what's the background, that type of thing, um, before giving access to a lot of like sensitive stuff. And, you know, some of the research, depending on what it is, may end up being sort of beneficial no matter where it's coming from. So if you th think about like really open source, early academic research, right? Like artificial, like some of the like fundamental research on say like artificial intelligence or even drones, like that's going to get published no matter where it is in an open source academic journal. Uh, we're not necessarily open source, but like a you know publicly available hmm. um, academic journal. So to some extent, everyone's going to get the benefit um, from those things. So, you know, we're about at the end of the show and I want you to give our listeners sort of your two cents on what to make of the balloon event and then some of these sort of unexpected drone events that we're seeing that could be sensitive. What, what should they think? Should they do anything? How should they understand these events? Yeah, um, I think the simple the simple description, um, I guess three words is wake up call is what I would call it. Um, in and of itself, I don't think the balloon incident is really that big of a deal. Um, but where I think it's significant is sort of the symbolism of it, that sort of awareness, that attention that it's gotten across the country in a much more real way than many of these previous incidents that in many ways are equally, if in some cases, perhaps even more brazen, if you talk about like, you know, almost hitting some of our warships, that type of thing. Um, but it has that attention to it. And like the takeaway should be, how do we leverage that sort of wake up and how do we deal with it? And how do we use that to sort of um, support increases in broader counterintelligence activities um, to identify and recognize some of these Chinese spying concerns and be more effective at dealing with them. And I think, you know, the folks listening to this, you know, that part works for the policy folks who are listening to this, but like for just folks who are interested, I think just read more broadly, understand, like look at some of these incidents, like with these drone systems, um, look more broadly at the you know, history of Chinese spying. Um, you know, this is hardly the first time we have like 
had the OPM hacks back in, I think, 2015, I want to say, where, you know, the clearance information from, I think, millions yeah. of um, folks were stolen by some Chinese hackers. Like, this is not the first time that there's been some concerns here. Um, looking at that big history and looking holistically at, like, okay, what does this show us about the big picture of, like, U.S.-China relations and what that means going forward, especially in the espionage realm? All right. Zach Callenborn, thanks for joining us. Senior or fellow at the National Institute for Deterrent Studies. And of course, a prolific writer on all things drone. And you may catch him on other podcasts or on some of the videos of him giving talks on drone swarms and all sorts of interesting technologies. Thanks for joining us, Zach. Thank you for having me, sir. And to you, the listeners, thanks for joining us. This has been a production of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Grunthal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NuclearCast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.